Well, hello, friends. My name is Bob. It's my privilege, it truly is, to, to serve here at Grace Point as one of the associate pastors. I, I know I'm biased, but I really love our church, our church family. Uh, it's so good to be with you this morning. I thought I should just relieve your fears. I know this is a music stand, but I'm not going to sing. You can just put, that, just put that baby to rest there, okay? I do want to tell you that I feel really old this morning. I am getting older, but I got to tell you, I remember when Ryan was Jackson's size and when Heather was Molly's size. And boy, what a what a, what a startling thing to see the, the kids and the grandkids up here, isn't it? But isn't it great? I tell you, I, I was out for a, my power walk on Friday morning, and I, I, I came across some sidewalk art out in the middle of the street. Obviously, a child had drawn this, you could tell, and, and a child had written this. It was, it was pretty obvious that a kid did this. And, and here's what it said. It was in the middle of a big old heart, kind of like the ones on your skeletons, but bigger, okay? In the middle of this big old heart was this phrase, God is, capital N-O-T, God is not dead. Wow, how cool. No wonder Jesus said, let the little children come to me, for such is the kingdom of God. Man, hey, I got... I got a whole basket full of grandkids, and the youngest one is three, and she came over to spend the night with us last week. And when she arrived, she was wearing tights and this rainbow-colored tutu. Everything mismatched, and she didn't care. This is how she rolls, okay? She had this rainbow-colored tutu, and as will happen with three-year-olds from time to time, she decided it was time for a wardrobe change. So off comes the tutu, and when she threw it off, I said to her, honey, can, can I borrow that? And she kind of looked at me and said, sure. So I took it and put it on upside down with the elastic headband, uh, waistband serving as a headband, rainbow-colored, fluffy tutu, and I said, hey, <laughs> Grandpa's got hair! <laughs> she calls me affectionately Bob-Bob. And without blinking an eye or changing her facial expression at all, no smile, she said, Bob, Bob, you're a goofball. <laughs> so <laughs> now that you have that visual, this goofball has the honor of partnering with our lead pastor, Tim Hughes, this morning to open up this, I don't think it could be a more timely series uncertainty, certain faith in an uncertain world. I'm going to open us up this morning with part one, and Pastor Tim, over the next two weeks, will be bringing us part two and three of this series. So I really encourage you to participate, whether you're looking at us online or you're here present in the sanctuary. Uh, make it a priority during these next few Sundays uh, to, to, to engage in this series. It couldn't be more timely. The president, our president, likely the most protected and safe, medically attended to person on earth, has COVID-19. 
so does the first lady. Four million acres. Over four million acres have been consumed by the California wildfires, and now Colorado's contending with them. And there's this cloud of smoke that, that it, it, it just fills the horizon. And we can sometimes not clearly see the sun because of it. And, and I think maybe Chicken Little was right. Perhaps the sky is falling. Racial strife, again, divides our nation. We contend with so much uncertainty in life. There is a fear among many people that these elections, regardless of who wins, will in some way result in economic ruin for our country. This COVID-19 has upset the cart in ways we didn't see coming. School boards aren't sure what the best approach to education is in this environment. Should it be on-campus learning? Should it be, should it be uh, remote? Should it be a hybrid, a combination of the two? They're not sure what's best. And school boards... And communities are divided about which approach is the right one. No wonder. No wonder there's such uncertainty. Life is so uncertain. Pastor Craig Groeschel says this in his book, Confessions of a Pastor. He says, with all the bad things that happen in this world, it's sometimes hard to believe he's involved or if he's really even present. Wow, and we've got a pastor saying that. Life is so uncertain. You listen to and you read, you hear about the same news that I do. None of this is new news to us, is it? In fact, it's, well, it's, it's old news. Uncertainty happens in life. The four people I'm going to tell you about very quickly here in just a moment are people that I know personally, very personally. And I've changed their names to protect their identity because life for them is so uncertain right now. I bet you can fill in the blank with the name of someone that you know. It might even be you. Michael is 64. And after 40 years of marriage, he came home recently one evening to his wife who said, I don't want to be married anymore. And she filed for divorce. Irene is 57. She's worked at the same hospital for over 30 years, dedicated her life to this job. She learned recently that her hospital is being bought out by another company. And in 2021, she'll find out if she has a job. And if she has a job, it'll be for less pay, with less benefits, and she'll lose her tenure at age 57. Andy's 38. 
Andy's a young man by most standards, by mine. He has substantial lower back problems. He has a wife and three kids. Surgery is an option, probably his best option, but it's risky and there are no guarantees that surgery will fix his issues. Amanda. Amanda recently graduated from one of our Christian colleges. She's now working in her first full-time ministry position as a children's pastor. She's 23, and she just learned that she has leukemia. Life is so uncertain, isn't it? I mean, you know some of the same people I do that are living under a cloud of uncertainty. And that might describe you this morning as well. Temple University professor John Allen Paulus said this, uncertainty is the only certainty that there is. Wow, so there's pep talk 101. Aren't you glad you came to church today to quote Pastor Tim? Whoo! Man, that's heavy. But that's the reality of life. You know, one of the things that I love about the Bible, about God's Word, and I'm holding it tight because I hold on to it, one of the things I love about the Bible is its honesty. It's transparency. It, it's real. God doesn't, God doesn't gloss over or hide or, or, or push away the fact that uncertainty in life happens. Bad things happen to good people. It rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. And God, God doesn't gloss that over. He's really real with us about real people going through hard times in a, in, 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 in a myriad of different ways where life has gotten uncertain. People have experienced the reality that he's here, that he's real, that he's at work even when they couldn't see it or feel it or understand it. Take, for instance, Hagar, who is kicked to the curb seemingly by Abraham, her and her little boy Ishmael. Take, for instance, young Esther, who, who risks her life to approach the king with a cloud of uncertainty because the, de- the, the penalty for doing that is, is death. Take, for instance, Joseph, who sold into slavery by his brothers, or Elijah, who's now under uh, a, a warrant for his arrest by Queen Jezebel. He's reached the top of her 10 most wanted list. She wants him dead or alive and preferably dead. And take, for instance, the young Virgin Mary, who's probably 13 or 14 years of age at the time, who's engaged to be married to Joseph, only to discover that she's pregnant. 
with the Son of God. Only a few months earlier, her cousin, her old, old, really old cousin Elizabeth discovers that she's pregnant. Zachariah, her husband, is wise in that he doesn't call Elizabeth his old lady. He's a little more uh, polite than that. He says of his wife, Elizabeth, that she's well along in years. Elizabeth isn't supposed to be having babies. It's no different in biblical times than it is today when there comes a time in a woman's physical existence when, when, when being pregnant is not something that's supposed to happen. In time, that time passes. It should have passed for Elizabeth, but it didn't. And she's pregnant with child. And when she gives birth to her son in her old age, she names him John. We know him as John the Baptist. Everybody, it seems like everyone, believer or non-believer, has heard of John the Baptist. You know, I thought everyone heard of Billy Graham. I invited a couple from across the street over to my home when I lived in Eudora to, to uh, sit with us and watch a, a, a Billy Graham evangelical message. And I went over and invited them, and I met him in the front yard, and I said, hey, would you come over and have some dinner with us? And I'm just going to be real honest with you. We're going to watch a, a video, about a 20-minute video, a, a, a message from, from Billy Graham. And he looked at me with this deer-in-the-headlight look and said, honest to goodness, who's Billy Graham? He didn't know. I was startled. I think my jaw dropped and hit the floor. I thought everyone knew who Billy Graham was. That aside, about everybody's heard of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he, he spans the time from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He's the first prophet in 400 years since the Old Testament prophet Malachi. He was the one that the prophet Isaiah foretold would come as a voice in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. That was John the Baptist. Prepare the way for the coming Messiah, John. John was called the Baptist because he baptized. See, baptism was happening even before Jesus came, and John was baptizing for the repentance of sin. Repentance meaning turning away from sin and toward God. Away from sin and toward God. And John was baptizing people who were making that life decision. He's baptizing this one day in the Jordan River, and he sees the crowd parting, and walking up to him is Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes to John to be baptized. So if you've got your Bible with you this morning, I'm going to be reading out of the NIV version. It'll be on the screen behind me. You can follow along there. Pull that up on your mobile device. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew this morning, first in chapter Three, the baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, 
Can you imagine? I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love with him I am well pleased. John's right there. John's smack dab in the middle of this epic happening. Now let's fast forward two years and turn to chapter 11 in Matthew again this morning. It's two years later, picking it up at verse 2. When John, who was in prison, had heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Two years earlier, John baptizes Jesus. He hears this voice from heaven. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Two years later, Jesus, are you the one? Should I be expecting someone else? Let me ask you this morning, friends, what changed? Life changed. Life changed. Two years later, John's not out in the Jordan baptizing people, John's in prison. And I think he can see that his life's going to come to an end pretty quickly. He's isolated. He's lonely. He's cold. He's hungry. He's in a dark, dungy prison. He's likely depressed. Who wouldn't be? Tell you what happened for John the Baptist. Life changed. Max Licato writes, if you're looking for a place with no change, try a vending machine. With life comes change. Maybe, maybe John's had way too much time to think about his life circumstances. M maybe John is thinking, Jesus, I'm your cousin. I'm John the Baptist. Why haven't you come to rescue me yet? Can't you see the circumstance that I'm in? 
Or perhaps he's thinking, where's, where's the redemption of Israel? Where's the judgment of the unrighteous? Maybe he's thinking, perhaps I got this all wrong. Maybe I've been wrong about him all along. Perhaps Jesus just didn't fit the mold of the Messiah that he was expecting. Perhaps with all of this life uncertainty, with all the circumstances that John's going through right now, with all the ways that life have changed, uncertainty for him is just flowing like Niagara Falls, and so he sends his disciples to Jesus to say, are you the one? Or should I be expecting someone else? Interestingly enough, in Luke's gospel here, Jesus says this about John the Baptist. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. That pretty much includes all of us. It includes all of the saints, all of the prophets, all of those in the hall of fame of faith. No one greater than John that is born among women that only leaves out Adam. God created him from the dust. Everybody else. Jesus says there's no one greater than John born among women. And, and here's the deal. We've got good company this morning. If John the Baptist can be uncertain in his faith, we can too. We're in good company today. Now, I know misery doesn't love company, but the reality of it is uncertainty in life happens. Pope Francis said, in this quest to seek and find God in all things, there is still an area of uncertainty. Now, let's look at Jesus' response to John. It's here in Matthew, continuing in Matthew 11. Verses 4 and 5, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus didn't send him back a letter bomb. He didn't belittle him. He wasn't disappointed in John's questions and John's uncertainty. He wasn't surprised by John's uncertainty. He just sends him back a gentle response. The problem is, for me, when I read this, is that I would just really like a yes or no answer 
I mean, upon first glance, it looks like maybe Jesus' response is perhaps a little curt. It looks like Jesus doesn't answer the question. John wants to know, are you the one? And Jesus doesn't say yes or no. But let me tell you, he speaks to John right where John's heart is. John's a prophet. John knows God's word. John likely had the Old Testament scrolls memorized. And when he got this response from Jesus, he likely knew with certainty that Jesus was the one because Jesus pointed right back to the Old Testament prophecy that he was fulfilling. When he responded the way that he did, he was quoting Isaiah chapter 35, verses 4 through 6. He was speaking prophetic language in a way that John would have heard and certainly would have understood. Isaiah 35, 4 and 6 says to those 700-some years before Jesus came, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Now if we listen, we can hear Jesus saying this to John. We could hear this from Jesus. John, I am the one. I am the one the prophets wrote about. I am the one who has come to save. John, look at the evidence. I am. John, you can be certain that I am he. We don't have the rest of John's story. We know he was beheaded by Herod. We don't have what happened in between Jesus' disciples going, sending John's back to him, rather, and John hearing this. But I've got to believe that John's heart was filled with certainty upon being reminded. Perhaps John just needed that reassurance. Perhaps he just needed to be reminded. I think we all need that from time to time, especially when we're living under a cloud of uncertainty. Jesus has compassion for John, and he does for us today. He hears our questions of uncertainty, and he, he doesn't shy away from them. Questions like, Jesus what am I going to do now? God, how long is this going to last? Lord, how are you going to see me through this? 
Life circumstances change. They did for John. They do for all of us who call ourselves human. And they may change us. They change John. We're in good company. And I've come to realize this. That Professor Paulus was wrong. There is a certainty in life. And he is God. Even though life is uncertain, God is not. And so maybe, just maybe this morning as we are, some of us in here really living under a heavy cloud of uncertainty in life, maybe this morning we just need a little reminder. Perhaps this morning we just need a little assurance that we can be certain that God is real, he's active, he's working, he's present. And so let's turn to his word. Let's turn to his word this morning. His nature, Hebrews six seventeen says, is certain. His promises, 2 Samuel 23, 5 says, are certain. His power, Romans 1, 20, is certain. His word, Psalm, Isaiah 40, verse 8, is certain. And his love, Psalm 136, 1, is certain. God is certain. His nature, his promises, his power, his word, his love, we can be certain that God is certain. And in the midst of life's uncertainties, we need to be reminded of that, especially in the times that we live in. We can be certain of God's promises and his presence and his faithfulness and his love. Even though life is uncertain, God is not. Jesus concludes his response to John with this. He says in verse 6, Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. You and I, and I pray that you're not, but you might be in this group this morning of one who has come to the conclusion under a cloud of uncertainty that God is not real. God is not certain. God is not faithful. We know Christians who have given up on faith and turned their back on God and walked away. They've walked away perhaps because life just got hard. They've walked away because they can't see him at work in any of what's going on in life right now. So they just gave up. Perhaps, perhaps Jesus just didn't meet their expectations. I thought, God, it was going to be this and what I'm seeing is this. The deal is that you and I only see through a peephole. We see life through a people. We've got a very small scope, a very small vision of life, and it's, it's just right around us. When in reality, God has a panoramic wide lens. 
God is at work in ways that we can't see, that we can't fathom, that we can't understand. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. God is at work. And we assume because we can't see it that he's not. When the reality of it is, he is. And so, regardless of what our circumstances are, we can be certain that he's with us, that he knows what's going on with us, that he's present, and that he loves us. Uncertainty happens to us in life. That's a given. The reality of life is, however, that God is certain in the midst of our uncertainties. So we're in good company with John the Baptist. It's okay for us to have questions. It's okay to ask God who, what, when, where, how, and why. It's okay if we have doubts. Uncertainty kind of breeds doubts, doesn't it? We're, we're in the same company as the greatest man mourning among women. Jesus doesn't mind our uncertainty. He has compassion for us in our circumstances. And when he says, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me, what he's saying to us is, hold on. Hold on to the hope that you have in me. The writer of Hebrews says we have this hope that's an anchor for our souls. Hold on to the hope you have, people. Keep the faith. Don't throw in the towel. Hebrews 11.1 1 says faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. We'll be blessed if we hold on to the certainty of Jesus. Next week, you'll want to be back for this in part two. Pastor Tim is going to bring us a message entitled, In the Meantime. Okay, here I am, Lord. I'm waiting. What do I do here in the meantime? God has an answer for that question. You'll want to be here for that. I want to conclude this morning with this word from a man who knew a little bit about uncertainty in life. The Apostle Paul, who had been shipwrecked three times, bitten by a poisonous snake, beaten multiple times with a whip, beaten and thrown over and off of a city wall and left for dead, Imprisoned multiple times, abandoned by friends, abandoned by family. The Apostle Paul knew a little bit about uncertainty in life, and he writes, If you take nothing else away from here, friends, this morning, take this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. He's certain. And you can be certain of that. 
Father, we thank you for this reminder today that we needed to hear that in the midst of all that's going on in our lives around us, in our lives personally, with all that takes place in the way that life's changing, we can be certain of you and your presence and your power, your faithfulness and your love in our lives. And so, Lord, remind us to hold on, to keep the hope, to keep faith alive. You have done it before and you will do it again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.